Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, bubba. Hey, bubba. Hey, man. So good to hear that voice every week, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today, kicking some texts about, and just about to, well, I started to say kick Easter on down the road. That doesn't sound very good, but we are coming to the conclusion of this wonderful season. We are talking today, texts for the seventh Sunday of Easter, May the 21st, 2023. Uh, yeah, uh, time for ascension. Some churches may kind of be catching up on that. Our text today will touch on it. Uh, but as I've been telling my folks, Jesus was hanging around for a while after Easter Sunday, but they all knew, or at least he was trying to tell them, now I'm going away and here's some things you need to know. So, that's where we are today. Tell us what you got on your mind as we think about preaching on this final Sunday of Eastertide. Well, the, as you just referred to, one of the major themes of the building, uh, the, the, the Sunday, is Jesus' ascension, which either you've celebrated this past week when you, you know, before you get to this. Mm-hmm. We're doing this before ascension, but we're doing it for text after. So, you know, mm-hmm. you've either... By the time you get to this Sunday, you've celebrated the Ascension. What most of you probably have not, so you refer to the Ascension <laughs> in the yeah. that he has ascended. And he's up and uh, gone. Yeah. And uh, Jesus is has left the world, and where does that leave us? That's pretty much a, a theme. As mm-hmm. we as we are in the world without Christ. Uh you know the expression. You've, you've heard all of us have heard it and used it. Probably said it. Jesus, ha, uh, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> and uh, this week, uh, our old friend of the show, retired emeritus Bishop Julian Gordy, and I had a moment to <laughs> visit with him a little bit. And he said, "You know where that expression comes from?" And I said, "Well, sort of, but not exactly." He said, "Well, the origin is that after Elvis's concerts." His most fervent fans, and there were a lot of them, would not leave. They'd leave. As long yeah, as yeah, they thought out. he was still there. They might catch a glimpse. They might see him. So they would not leave the venue until they, as long as they thought he was still there. Might catch and of a course, glimpse. The building managers need to get people out, shut this place down, clean it up, <laughs> whatever they need to do. And so in the, I think it was Detroit, the guy started flicking the lights and then went on the PA system and said, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> Y'all go home. Yeah. That became a tradition at the after Elvis concerts when Elvis left, they would yeah. announce Elvis has left the building. There was a great post-coronation meme floating around yeah. in the last couple yeah. of weeks with a picture of Charles and, you know, the placing the crown on his head and Charles saying, I am the king, side by side 
with a portrait of mid Elvis, not young, not old Elvis, but mid Elvis looking saying, Oh, please. Please. (laughs) So, so, yeah. Anyway, Elvis has left the building. Today's theme, major one, is Jesus has left the world. Mm -hmm. What are we to do? And each of them touches on those things. The second way, sort of with underneath all of that, then that with Jesus having left the building, we find ourselves as Christians in the midst of a dangerous and sometimes hostile mm-hmm. world. And and God's people are called to faith and remembrance. How do we live in this world that may not have turned out like we thought it would? Jesus was here. Now Jesus is gone. Jesus has promised to come again. But in the meantime, yeah, we got the Holy Spirit, but we're still suffering. There's still difficulty. There's still trouble. How do we get by? And that's what these texts are about. Even the ones, uh, the gospel, which purports, reports a period of time before Jesus left, is written from a perspective many years later and is written to the church of that time as they struggle with what does it mean to live in the world right. with Jesus having left. So let's walk through the text, starting with Acts, and uh, a brief report of the ascension, right. and a little bit further. So That'll uh, and that'll be good, and uh, Bubba, you and I are prepared in different directions this morning, which is why there's two of us sometimes. I, in my congregation, will be dealing primarily with ascension. So I'm going to be using a couple of the ascension texts. And at the end, I'll just hit them a lick, right? Because they are, it is going to be part of what you're covering on this seventh Sunday. So that'll, that'll come up. Stay tuned. Here we go. Well, here's the ascension in, in Acts. And, um, you know, again, you have another promise of the Holy Spirit. So they had come together, and I'm going to make three notes as we talk about this. One is a, an easy-to-miss geographical theological note. You go down to verse 12, and it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath day journey is how far you were allowed to walk on the Sabbath, which is about a half mile. Right. And... In that note is an underlying thing for Luke, which is his vision of Jerusalem as the center for Israel's religion. Jerusalem is the place where God made God's presence known. And so all these things that Jesus did, if you read back through Luke and up to this point in Acts, and, and for a bit longer, mm-hmm. you will see that all these significant things that matter about revealing who Christ was are located in and around Jerusalem. That's very important for Luke. So you have this, they, are, they leave Olivet, which is only half my way, go back into Jerusalem, and they gather their waiting. And it's only after the Holy Spirit comes that is fulfilled what is in verse 8. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And notice the ripples in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is a very important note here of the the ascension and the promise of Pentecost as Luke sees it, how this flows out from there. Right. Uh, 
the second one is one of my favorite lines in the in the um, in the scriptures, particularly in Acts. Uh, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? <laughs> there is a scatological version of that that I will not entertain you with. It doesn't correctly <laughs> there. Thank you, but thank you. Standing around holding. Why are you doing it? Get busy. You know, why are you standing there looking? I said, he's coming back. He said he's coming back. Get busy. And it, it reminds me of childhood. You know, mom and daddy would leave. And, mm-hmm. You know, and we'd stand looking out the window, watching the car go. And grandma would say, all right, y'all, they'll be back. Come on. Let's go do this or that. That's when we were little. Yeah. You know, mom and daddy, mm-hmm. we'll be back. Don't worry about it. Let's go do. And mama, grandma was the angel, said, why don't you stand there? You know, it's okay. They'll be back. Let's go eat some Fruit Loops. And <laughs> you can help me in the garden, whatever grandma said. Mm-hmm. And then when I got older, it was uh, 14, 13 or 14 or 15, suddenly being surprised by daddy when I was supposed to be doing some chore. And I was standing around thinking great thoughts as adolescent pseudo-intellectuals are wont to do, thinking about things rather than being busy about my farm labors. <laughs> and he'd say, don't just stand there gathering cobwebs, get busy. Yeah. You got work to do. I think it's more the, the latter category that the message from Luke is to the early church. Remember who, who this is written to, and he's saying, do not stand around waiting for Jesus to come back. He's going to come. He'll come back. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, let's get busy. Yeah. Yeah. And the last piece here, verses 13 and 14, it's interesting. He bothers to name specifically uh, the 11 that were left. He names them. And it, it goes, it's the same group as you find named in all the Gospels. Mm-hmm. The order is interesting because usually it started with the sets of brothers mm-hmm. and Peter and John and James. Those three uh, were very prominent in the rest mm-hmm. of what Luke talks about. Right. And the others, I hate to say it, except an extra biblical tradition kind of fade away out of the story. We don't, we don't see much about them, hear much about them. Mm-hmm. No, we don't. And I think that's why it's the order there. And then 14, they're praying together and devoting themselves to prayer, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. I can't read that without the Southernism. And I'll say it carefully, and then I'll say it the way Southerners do. (laughs) This mama and them, T-H-E-M. You know, Southerner would refer to his extended family, his kinfolk network of anybody else would be. How's your mama and them? Mama and them. Jesus and mama and them were there with the apostles and a few other women, probably the Martha and Mary and Mary Magdalene and some some others. Goes right along with uh, synonym, antonym, homonym, mama and them. Mama and them. There you go. So the, early, the early church was Jesus's buddies and his mom and them and a go. few women that were connected in various ways. And I just think it's very important to say the church started with this. 
And we're always talking about, we better get busy, better get to work. Mm -hmm. What did they do? They prayed. They prayed. They built community. And I think it's important to look at that. So from the ascension, there is the, ascent, the story of the ascension is whichever way it's told has to do with what, how do we live now that Jesus is gone? Mm -hmm. And I think I was thinking about is that Matthew text is often used for the ascension. And one of the other favorite lines, ascension is a wonderful story. And another favorite line from it is they watch him go off and they worshiped him. And then it's, but some doubted. Mm -hmm. And, I think that's another one of those reminders. The early church is not this ideal, per perfect community. Yeah. And I, I'm one of these some doubted about, somebody asked me if there was ever anything I preached and proclaimed that I had trouble believing. And I said, never before Monday. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sunday, I'm great. By Monday, I'm like, well, yeah. gee. Well, and this is, uh, that's consistent with what we've been seeing, especially in the, well, all of the post-resurrection stories. I started to say, especially in these passages from John, we've seen disciples that are perfectly willing to go, I don't get it. Yeah. And Thomas, I, I know, I got to see it. Uh, even in the uh, uh, the John 14 passage, Thomas, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? It just wasn't that crystal clear. To the yeah. people who even were the closest to Jesus. And so a little healthy skepticism, questions, these kinds of things to me are a almost a, a necessary component right. of this kind of living faith. Yeah. So the uh, other three texts from this Sunday, the last Sunday, uh, the Psalm 68, 1 through 10, and 32 through 35, along with Psalm 47, Psalm 68 is structured as the image of a grand procession. Mm -hmm. It's a mi mixed image of a grand procession. You mentioned Charles III's coronation. Mm -hmm. I'm right. probably one of the few people that didn't bother to look. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, But... I, just, I presume there was a great deal of TV coverage of grand processions oh, with trumpets and people oh, all outfitted in yeah. interesting costumes. And I just watched to uh, I just watched to hear the music and especially Zadok the priest, which is really only sung at coronations. Yeah. And what a great piece! Yeah. And that was yeah. fun. Yeah. As I said, it's kind of mixed images. You've got some images that are. God from the wilderness to Mount Sinai with all the thunder and lightning and the rain. You've got some of the images that play off of the people from the villages going up to the temple in Jerusalem. And then you've got a lot of the imagery of a king and an army coming back to Jerusalem from the battlefield, having won a victory they attribute to God. So there's a mixture here. It's hard to tell them apart of the human victory, which God helped with, and divine victory over various things. Uh, three notes I want to make about the text, particularly one that helps us with the other text. Uh, one is just briefly him who rides upon the clouds in verse 34. And then down in 33, O rider in the heavens. This is a common Mideast all across the cultures for the reference to the ultimate God or the high God, depending on the cultures, a God reference. 
uh, verses five and six. This is important. This is, shows us the God who cares, uh, not just about kings, women, and battles, but father of orphans, protector of widows, the desolate the home to live in, etc. And that it connects with First Peter five seven, in which he says, "Cast your anxiety upon Him who cares, God who cares." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in verse 32 here, when it calls on the kingdoms of the earth to sing praise to the Lord, we touch again the universalism of the Jewish understanding of who they are and who God is, uh, as opposed to an exclusivism, an ethnic exclusivism that says only we get to worship this God and everybody else doesn't. This is an expression Mm -hmm. of why God has chosen the Jewish people to do these things and so that the world will see who the real God is and come to worship and praise yes. God. Yes. So, and you've and got, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, you've got with this grand procession and noting the language there, and this is kind of akin to language we find in another Psalm 104 about God's chariots of wrath, the deep yeah. thunder clouds form. Uh, it, yeah. Just, this majestic language, it's great to hold on to. Sorry. And, Sorry. And, and there's been a great deal of anti-militarism and, um, you know, over the last several years, last 50 to 100, I'd say, in terms of it's not really good to identify the church as onward Christian soldiers and this and that. And that's kind of a wooden understanding of metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, first of all, anytime a, a, a land or a country has been at war and it comes to an end, people celebrate, whether they they may not celebrate victory as much as they celebrate the killing is done. We're over. It's through. We're excited. And I think there's an element of that here. I think we need to recognize it's not a bloodthirsty element, uh, as always in the psalm. It has to do with, my goodness, this was terrible and God has brought peace. And in that sense, we can talk about it. And and any militaristic imagery, which I'm not crazy about, because it's hard for us to understand it as other than um, kind of a, we get to go out Mm -hmm. and whoop, but, you know. But it is important to understand it as God is with us in the midst of our struggles. Mm -hmm. That's where this comes in today, is we as the church live within a world, God's people live in a world that is difficult. Yes. And it's important to remember that God is with us and and is leading us forward in our struggles. Right. Well, and to a people who heard and sang and chanted these songs, uh, a people who fairly regularly in their history had armies marching through (laughs) Yes. Armies of possession, of triumph, of yeah. one thing at another. The, the, it's an image they didn't really yeah. mind holding on to. It and and I guess my caution is we need to be careful with it and mm-hmm. not be a triumphalist. God's on our side and what right. means we get right. to whoop the world. Uh, it is we are a people who find ourselves oppressed and we can have confidence that God is mm-hmm. with us. Yeah. First Peter 4, 12 through 14, 5, 6 through 11, the end of uh, First Peter's, our First Peter series for the season of Easter. It was a baptism sermon talk discussion of what does it mean to be a Christian living in the current world. Uh, in this case, 
uh, a recurrent theme through our readings has been having faith in the midst of suffering. Suffering is a constant theme with Peter, uh, the author of First Peter, as to how well, how do we deal with that? I, uh, underneath it, there may be with the writer and with his community a bit of surprise mm-hmm. that we've committed ourselves to Christ. Why are we still having trouble? Yeah. And this is a theological reflection on on the suffering that the church still experiences, even though Christ, they have been saved, as we would say, and they have come to Christ and the Holy Spirit's in our midst and we're good servants, but we still suffer. Why? It's a question as old as religion itself. Correct. And the author of 1 Peter gives five reactions or responses in this text. One is, I alluded to, to be surprised. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. Uh, this uh, we had we heard from a, a faithful listener, Hey Cliff, out of yeah. Texas. Shout out to Cliff Kircher. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we had a uh, thing last week about life's not fair. Who told you it was going to be fair? And he had a line from his mother said, "The fair is in Dallas in September." <laughs> I like that. That's a good Texas saying. Yep. What do you mean? It's no, no. It's not fair. Fair is in Texas in September. Yeah. Life's not fair. Don't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Then there's several, two, three, and four answers that are interconnected. He talks about rejoicing at our suffering because it gives us a chance to imitate Christ, and it moves on. We are like Christ. This is in thirteen and sharing in Christ's sufferings. And then four, our suffering is in solidarity with the world's suffering. So it gives us a chance to imitate Christ. We get to suffer like Christ. Our suffering is in solidarity with the world's suffering. That's in chapter 5, verse 9. All of those share, that word share, comes from the word koinonia. We know that word. Fellowship. Community. And this use of it lifts it from the way we have reduced it to the fellowship hall <laughs> where we go and share the coffee hour coffee and and ain't myrtle's coffee cake or whoever's sharing today and mm-hmm. we get to you know which is wonderful i love that part absolutely we follow, we, my wife and our little different my wife after you after church is over and we go out and uh, she's ready to get in the car. She said, you're not going to fellowship, are you? I said, you're not going to fellowship. <laughs> she knows it's going to be a little while. When I've got to shoot, I gotta, this is not me, preacher, wanting to go hear people tell. This is now. And I'm yeah, mostly sitting in the pew. I love, love to go shoot the breeze with people and talk and solidify relationships. All of that's important. But koinonia is a deep sharing relationship as the community of Christ Mm -hmm. united as the body of Christ. And what he is saying is your suffering shares in the suffering of Christ and brings solidarity with the suffering of other Christians indeed brings us into solidarity with the sufferings of the world. And one of the things that in Reformation era, they talked about what are the marks of the church? And this is a very important question. Because if the church definition of the church is no longer the one of being in apostolic succession and community with the Pope, the Pope to the hierarchy down 
to the bishops, through the priest and the congregation. If that's no longer the mark, what are the marks of the church? Right. And one of the important marks of the church that, that Luther lifted up was suffering. And he got it from here. The mark, part of the mark of the church is that it suffers on behalf of the world. And that's what these, these three things in the middle of this text that Peter is talking about, what does it mean for us to be the church in the in-between time? And he's really lifting up the issue that it's not that Christ suffered 2000 for us 2000 years ago for for the author first peter much closer 100 years or 50 to 100 years but it's not that christ suffered for us so that we don't have to it's that christ suffering and it's not that it's a model for us to imitate re horace bushnell it's not mm-hmm. a model for us to try to do our best to imitate but we are invited into and are participants in Christ's suffering for the world as a part of our living out our faith as Christians. When we share with Christ, and Christ shares with us last week, we saw I'm in you, you're in me, I'm in the Father, and you know, we sort of, I call that the all up in here together uh, moment yeah. of theology. But when we share with Christ, we most often like to focus on all the good stuff we'll share with Christ. Oh, home yeah. in heaven, Christ's blessing, Christ's power, you know, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. Some of those things we've been seeing. We, and I'm speaking plainly of myself and the contemporary church, we rarely want to think about sharing in Christ's suffering. So right. this is a great passage from Peter to give us a little time to back up, pause, and reflect on that. And, and so his fifth observation mm-hmm. comes out to suffering connects us to God. In 4.14, it talks about the Spirit of God resting on you, but in particular, in, in 10 and 11, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace has called you to eternal glory, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. What's important with that is we not for us to focus too much on, oh, oh, this is my cross to bear, and I'm just going to have to put up this suffering. I hope I have the strength to do it. But to recognize that calls us into unity and what God will do for us. It says this is what God does. God restores, supports, Mm. strengthens, establishes. It is do not focus on your pain but focus on God's grace in the midst of it. As as Lewis Lewis said, I think maybe in a grief observed, maybe a a different book, Malcolm, Letters to Malcolm, I can't remember, this is all, Mm -hmm. but God whispers to us in our joy and shouts to us in our pain. Mm, Whispers in our joy, shouts in our pain. What God does for us mm-hmm. in the midst of our suffering and um, makes us stronger in the broken places, as it were. Powerful piece of text there. Pretty good stuff. What it means. So moving to John 17, 1 through 11. Uh, this is the farewell prayer, part of the farewell prayer. Uh, the, 
just a reminder where it comes, you know, the farewell discourses at the, <laughs> the final meal, 14 through 16, and immediately following in chapter 18 is the arrest in the garden. And so we have this prayer that, that um, Jesus is praying. Now, it is set while Jesus is still alive and before his death and resurrection. But it is written a good bit later, six right. years, depending on who it is, but a lot later. And it, the lang- even the language betrays, if I can use that term, that it is intended for a, a much later audience as the, as the language goes mm-hmm. through. Um, I, I would say, how do we listen to this? And this is interesting because some people have noticed it's got a sermonic kind of outline. In some worship traditions of which I participated, rather than having a uh, prayers of the people done by an assisting minister with brief petitions and responses from mm-hmm. the congregation, there is the tradition of the pastoral prayer. This is a long prayer prepared by the pastor who mm-hmm. prays this long prayer without a lot of... Uh, not a lot of scripted response. In some traditions, you might get unscripted amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The worst thing you want to get is helping <laughs> Jesus because that means you're not doing very well. But <laughs> Help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. <laughs> but when you're praying a pastoral prayer that you've composed, it is both oriented toward God, but you're very aware you're being overheard by the congregation. Mm-hmm. As you mm-hmm. pray for the congregation, it is a a homiletic prayer, mm-hmm. a prayer, uh, you know, a prayerful, absolutely, sermon, you know, multiple mm-hmm. levels. So I hear this as a kind of that way, a pastoral right. prayer in that tradition. And our text uh, comes from one twenty-six, and the entire prayer takes through the twenty-sixth chapter and has three parts: uh, one about Jesus and his departure to glory. The second part is for the disciples, and the last part is for future Christians. We get part one and two A today. Right. You know, Just so, getting warmed up. Warmed up. The first part, one through five, is circles around the issue of the hour of my departure. <laughs> and this is a, a phrase that John has used often, and it's very important. John, John is the most, I have to call it predestinarian, of the uh, Gospels, mm-hmm. it's the most. He wants to make it very clear that Jesus was not an accident. That Jesus just didn't just happen to be mm-hmm. very smart or very spiritual, and it just didn't happen. And that God had planned it. It was Jesus' hour. It's part of God's plan. Particularly this language of returning back to the glory, and that Jesus was here as a part of God's plan to reveal God's glory and truth and to start something happening in the world, which is the church. This is an assurance as you think, as I talked about, um, think about who it's oriented to. This is to the church well after Jesus has left and said, you're not an accident. You know, right now we're a struggling small group, but we're part of the eternal God's plan. And this truth that we have came to us from God, through Jesus, to the disciples, and to us. And we can hold on to that truth. Um, Then verses 6 through 11 
the second part is he's praying for the disciples, and it ties into that first part. Uh, continuity between Jesus and the church. God gave the disciples to Jesus. Right. Jesus gave the word to the disciples. Mm-hmm. The disciples believed, received, and kept the world. And the world didn't. And God, Jesus prayed that God would keep them safe, that is, keep them holding on, trusting the word in the midst of a difficult time. Stepping outside the limitations of the text, then we go forward into that bit about the prayer for the world. And what it's aiming at is the church is not an orphan in the world, and they can look back and say, oh, this is where what we believe came from. We can right. be trusted. We can look back at the mighty acts of God. Mm-hmm including the mighty act of sending the Christ from glory, returning to glory, and the word, which is not just something the disciples looked around and noticed about Jesus, but it is a message from God, the truth, the word that came to Jesus, and that he gave it to the disciples, and they believed it and kept it, and then passed it on, and as it expanded in the Mm -hmm. room. Powerful message as the ending of the season of Easter as we await Pentecost is that Jesus says, I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I am leaving you in good hands. Now, one of my favorite stories, and this ties back to the end of Acts, one of my favorite stories at this point, uh, it's not a scriptural story, it's uh, one of these fun stories where Mm -hmm. that um, Jesus ascended and the first thing when he got back to heaven, he Ran into one of the uh, old folks, old angels around that had been around for a long time. And the angel said, oh, you're back. And Jesus said, yep, I'm back. said, how'd it go? said, well, it was kind of rough, but I got her done. (laughs) It's it's getting started. And they're going. He said, well, what's the plan? He said, well, I left 11 disciples and my mama and my brothers and sisters and a few others. And they're praying right now. And we're going to send the spirit and we're trusting on them to expand the message. And the yeah. Angel looks at him for a long time and says, what's plan B? <laughs> he says, there is no plan B. That's right. That's right. So at this juncture, when Jesus has ascended and they go back, this is the plan. Mm-hmm. There is no plan B. Yeah. And we still have, this is still the plan. We look around at the church and its faults and failures and stumbles and mistakes and and just humanness, we can lose hope. Yeah. But if we can remember that the message, the truth that we carry is from God and that God is with us, that God in the words in Peter, um, restores, supports, strengthens, and establishes us, We'll be okay. Keep it up to the work. Baba, really good stuff, really good exposition. Let me take just a couple of minutes for some of you who may, like me, need to basically address the ascension. Uh, I am using the texts for Ascension Day, which, as Delmar said, technically is a few few days ahead of this. But uh, in working with a portion of the Acts passage, just verses 1 through 11, 
Uh, playing off of that uh, line you said you like so much, Delmer, in verse 11, these uh, angelic figures, these two men come up, and men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Uh, I'm sort of imagining that and giving my thoughts along the lines of, well, what are you up to? Yeah, what you up to? You're looking, you know, both in what are you looking at? Jesus is up, but what are you up to? How will you continue? What does, I'm essentially asking the same question you started with. What do we do now? Jesus is gone. What do we do? What are you up to? And I find a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, ideas, a lot of, I'm trying to think of the word, <laughs> stuff goes out of my head, Bubba, easy. You know, yeah. there it was, and now now it's gone. Um, but there's a lot of meat, there's a lot of subject matter in the uh, Ephesians passage that is uh, paired for this day, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, where uh, Paul's writing to that church. He says, look, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And he begins to sort of run down living this Jesus life. Another one of his descriptions uh, to this young church. And so I want to take that and say, well, look, we're, we're getting sort of a um, a, a photo opportunity here. We get a, a, a photograph, a snapshot of what was going on in the lives of these folks after Jesus is gone. And so very quickly, it makes a nice potential kind of outline to run through in that Ephesians passage. What are you up to? Well, we start with faith. We move on to love and you skip down just a little bit in verse 18 and you get the familiar mention of the hope that we have in Christ. Well, there it is, the seed of Paul's famous outline, faith and hope and love. These are things that we are living out. These are things that we are up to. In verse 16, he says, I give thanks. I don't, I do not cease to give thanks for you. A pretty good thing to be up to. We saw earlier as Jesus left, the disciples and the women devoted themselves to prayer. Well, here we are. This is a praying church, a giving thanks congregation. In verse 17, he is praying for them to receive in, by the Spirit wisdom and revelation. Wisdom, knowledge, and then understanding, which for me connects to you understand it, you put it to play in your life. One of the great phrases that Paul turns in verse 18, with the eyes of your heart enlightened. You can just sit around and muse on that for a while, preachers, and you, you may want to even kind of focus on that. But behind that is this Hebrew idea that when you talk about light in the eyes, it is not only light that is received, that's sort of the, the wisdom part, that's sort of the maybe understanding part, but also the, the light goes forth. There's a sense in which we now see the world with the light of God, and there is a, a light that, uh, that goes forth. The eyes of your heart, both uh, enlightened on the inside and enlightened as it look into the world. 
Um, and then finally, and this is where it comes around to a similar theme, I believe, to what you were proposing. He closes out by talking how the power of God has now been put to work in Christ. The power of God put to work in Christ. We've been proclaiming the power of God at work in the resurrection. And now with the ascension, the power of God works in the body of Christ, which is the church, the power of God working in us as a body. And that's kind of, I think, the the import of the two guys in white saying, what are you doing standing here? We've got things to do. Oh, gospel song in my tradition to the work. To the work, we are servants of God. Let us follow the path that the Savior hath trod. Well, to the work. We got stuff to do. What does it look like? Looks like all these things. So there's an idea for you. That's what I'll be doing uh, as I help my church understand the resurrection. Bubba, I think we've given everybody, a, you know, a fair number of targets to shoot at this week, yeah. if you care to. Let me just well, say, would, yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to say John singing just there. I, I do want y'all to know that John has a degree in church music and he picks the the songs. He, he's a gifted person. The songs that go with uh, our show. Yeah. I make occasional suggestions, and yep. this week I was going to suggest "Rocket Man" by Elton John, <laughs> Elton but I doubt we'll we'll do that. But well, you never flying know. off into the sky always reminds me. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to see what comes out. It may be somewhere between the gospel hymn and Elton John. I don't know. But uh, Delmar mentioned Cliff earlier, and uh, we do appreciate that. I appreciate all of you who take a minute and often send us an idea just to encourage you. Send us a good quote. We had quotes today from Bishop Gordy and uh, from uh, uh, Cliff and uh, y'all. Give us some reaction. Give us your thoughts. Give us a quote. We'll get you on the air. Okay, so I, we always appreciate that. Appreciate the good lines. So one thing I wanted to do is invite a little bit of a survey. John and I, in the past, have done live at a retreat uh, workshops, uh, working both the text for a part of a season or a part of a season, and also some of our helpful hints, as we call, might call it, on <laughs> uh, putting the sermon together and and thinking theologically, biblically, scripturally, mm-hmm. etc. We have some wor- working with a group. Uh, it isn't literally a workshop. It's not just J- John and myself standing mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. blabbiating. And uh, we've had good response, and we thought that'd be kind of fun to do again. Yeah. And the kind of semi-post-COVID, I mean, it'll, mm-hmm. we'll never be in a place where it's like the flu. We'll never be in a place where yeah. COVID's yeah. not a possibility, but... We'd like to know if people yeah. are interested in that. We've done a couple that were Zoom only, right? And uh, we might we're, we're just exploring. Is, yeah, is it time to bring back lectionary lab retreats? And we've got some possibilities we're looking at of places to gather. But I got to tell you, Bubba, as much as I enjoyed adapting to COVID and doing this over Zoom, there is nothing like being together with fellow preachers for a couple of days. Uh, yes, it's great work on the text, and we get to think about that. But just the, the face-to-face time 
that we get to have with one another. So y'all let mm-hmm. us know what a uh, sort of early fall, you know, uh, mid-September to maybe mid-October-ish kind of opportunity to have a lectionary retreat live and in person be appealing to you. Is that something you could do? Please send us a message. Respond on the blog. Send it. Uh, uh, send it to our emails. Uh, basically, our names: John at Gmail, and isn't yours Delmer at yep. Gmail. And don't yeah. let your computer spell my name with an A. It's D E L M E R. E R. That's it. So, yeah, let us know. Thanks for reminding of that, Bubba, because we've been talking about it and thinking about it. Yeah. We would love to do it this fall. Okay. Well. Not much left, I don't think, Bubba, for us to do today, other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. When I die. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with I'll Fly Away, written by Alfred E. Brumbley and performed by Alabama. Celestial show I